0: Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan For most of us, the promise of a trip to the beach in Florida brings up thoughts of the warm air, the sun beating down on us as we lay in the sand, listening to the surf hearing the gulls overhead, and just relaxing. For 11-year-old Gannon Stouch, nothing could be further from the truth. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most horrific crimes in recent memory. We're going to talk about Gannon Stouch. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Back with me again today is my good friend Jackie Howard. Executive producer of Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Jackie, what can you tell us about Gannon?
1: Gannon Stouch lived with his father and his stepmother, Al and Letitia Stouch. The dad served in the military in the National Guard and was often away for training. As a matter of fact, his father, Al, was in Oklahoma when Gannon died. Letitia Stouch, the stepmother, reported the 11-year-old missing. She said that he had stayed home from school originally because he had a stomach ache, and then she had traveled out with him to a park later on that day. Within 24 hours of the first 911 call reporting Gannon missing, the stories definitely did not add up. Letitia had initially told detectives that when Gannon had gone to the friend's house and didn't return, she could not tell them the friend's name, address or phone number. Then she changed her story and said that a neighborhood construction worker had broken into the house and raped her and took Gannon. Then she said that she had watched Gannon ride his bike and he fell off and hit his head. And then two men drove up and grabbed him and took off. So we have conflicting stories about what happened to Gannon here. It was two months before Gannon Stouch's body was found and it was found in Florida, more than 1400 miles away. Gannon had been stuffed into a suitcase and discarded.
0: Jackie, one of the most Valuable uh, bits of currency. Uh, it's an odd term to use, but in scientific parlance, for us in forensics, is time. You know the, these things that where we're trying to put these elements together to understand what exactly happened. And when you have a case such as Gannon's that extends out over such a broad-reaching spectrum of time, then that's that creates a multi a multitude of problems for us. Uh, you begin thinking about, well, he was last seen on Janu- in January, January 27th, I believe. And then he wasn't found for almost another two months. And so when you're trying to put things together, you have to think about things like uh, decompositional changes, uh, What what's going to impact those findings, uh, what's going to impact uh, the way we view, the way the body is initially found as opposed to where we think that, say, a fatal event occurred. And keep in mind, we're talking about a distance of 1,400 miles, Jackie. That's a long ways from Colorado to Florida.
1: It is a long way, And, you know, Joe, one of the things that was important to note here in this case, the position in Florida is not where Gannon was originally dumped. We have a location back in Colorado, where police say Gannon's body was left for at least a month and then retrieved and transported to Florida. So I'm just going to open the field up to you and let you go, because I have to imagine that, the you know, the different locations, the time, there are so many things that has to be considered here.
0: Yeah, there are. And there are multiple elements involved here that are going to impact uh, changes in the body uh, specifically. And can, you know, for an unseasoned investigator, um, can throw you off very, very quickly if you're not really attuned to the environment in which the body is, is found in. And let me just give you a brief example, and this will kind of paint paint the picture. If you think about, let's just think about soil, okay? Think about what the soil is probably like out in Colorado, you might have a mix of a lot of decomposed, uh, say for instance, plant life uh, from that particular area. Think about evergreen trees uh, combined with maybe a clay uh, base in the in the soil. And then he is from Colorado. He. Apparently died there, and then you think about where he was finally deposited. That's in Florida, Jackie. What's the soil like in Florida? Well, I can tell you this: the ma- one of the major components in Florida um, is going to be sand. So you're not necessarily going to find those two elements in the same place. And so that's a distinctive thing that we look for in forensic science. Soil science is actually a big part of what we refer to as trace evidence. It's a particular section you can go to at the crime lab and they study these sorts of things. That in and of itself is major when you're trying to put together what actually happened. But just like we can look at soil, there are multiple elements here in Gannon's case Uh, chief among this is going to be, uh, for instance, that he was in apparently, apparently multiple locations after death. He died, we believe at least, according to what the police are saying, in Colorado, in El Paso County, potentially in that home. How do I know that? Well, his stepmother allegedly had his stepsister go out and purchase items like bleach garbage bags, these sorts of things that you would use to facilitate cleaning in an environment. We know that his body was there. He certainly lived there for a while. And then you know how you mentioned that he was held in one location for about a month? That place was Douglas County, Colorado. That's where the police think that the initial dump site was. But you know what? There's a scene in between that. You know what it is? It's the vehicle that was used to initially transport his body. So moving from his home his body being moved from his home in El Paso County to Douglas County. That's another scene, even though it's on wheels, you have elements of his body that might be contained in that vehicle from that first trip. Now, once he gets deposited in Douglas County, follow me here in Douglas County, Colorado, for some reason, you know, the old adage, they talk about how the criminal always returns to the scene of the crime Maybe an individual is getting uncomfortable at this moment in time. Maybe they're thinking we need to put more distance, physical distance between ourselves and the body. So what happens? Well, his body is then gathered back up. And keep in mind, when you gather his body back up at that scene in Colorado, that initial dump site, you're picking up all of the debris that was underlying that body. Anything that attached itself to his body or clothing that he may have been wearing, you know what, Jackie, that's going with him then you place it back in the car. And now, now you gotta make this 1400 mile journey from rural Colorado all the way down to the panhandle of Florida. Now, how are you gonna do that? Well, apparently, from what the police are telling us, he wasn't placed in in plastic or uh, I think that he was probably wrapped in something, but he, it, it's not like they just simply put him into a garbage bag. It's not what they did. They actually took a suitcase and folded this little boy's body up and stuffed it in there. And then they transport him all these miles. And so now you've got the influence of the suitcase that comes into play with his body. Anything that's contained within that suitcase is going to transfer to his body. Anything that was on his body is going to transfer to that suitcase. And now they finally make it to Florida and they get to this bridge. And my thought is, whoever did this, pulled over maybe on the side of that bridge and simply threw him off into this waterway. And it's really tragic. Uh, but it's, it's a good thing in the end because his body didn't float out to sea. It was essentially lodged there on the bank where the, where the local workers actually wound up finding him.
1: So we know that Letitia rented a van in February, and drove from Colorado to Pensacola, Florida. And she stayed at a hotel that was about three and a half miles from where Gannon's body was later found. You talked about the forensics that were possibly blood from the first time that Gannon's body was transported. So now we've got a different vehicle that could possibly have evidence in it if we follow this line of evidence where she rented a vehicle, most likely since she's in Florida to dispose of the body. So we're going to find what soil from Colorado that you're not necessarily going to find in Florida bug larva from Colorado that you're not going to find in Florida. I mean, what are those kind of differences, Joe?
0: Listen to you, Jack, you're talking about bug larva. There you go. You're (laughs) absolutely right. You're on the right track here because, you know, we talk about things like, and I'm going to break this down. We talk about things like flora, and fauna, we learn this in basic biology and see it's very simple. This isn't rocket science. This applies to forensics. It's some of the stuff that we look from for from a biological standpoint. Flora, meaning any kind of plant life. And then, and then fauna, meaning any kind of, of uh, insect life or anything. Just think anything with a heartbeat, okay? And that can extend all the way through the animal kingdom. So the bug life, for instance, the insect life, for instance, in Colorado, is going to vary greatly from that that is found down in Florida, as we well know. I mean, how many of us have been to the heat of Florida and you're slapping mosquitoes and gnats and everything else down there? And we definitely know that insects are in that area, but they're in Colorado as well. So you're talking about specific species that indwell Colorado. Well, if they have potentially laid their eggs, on or adjacent to Gannon's body, which I would assume that they would have if we go with this idea that he was down for a month there. Those are going to be transported with him uh, unless, you know, the perpetrator went to a, gr- a great deal of trouble to clean all of this way. I can't imagine that that was done. There would still be some remnant of that left behind. And then when you get down to Florida, you're going to have this um, deposition of eggs that come from the local Insect life down there at that point in time. So you're really, you know, nature is actually painting painting a picture for us here. It's actually creating kind of a breadcrumb trail, if you will, uh, relative to this journey that he's taken. So that's very, very specific. And I think that going back to what you had mentioned, the rental of the van, you know, this expands this out even further because if if the vehicle used the first time to deposit his body was say the family vehicle that's going to have unique evidence from the home to that deposition spot there where his body was laid out there in Douglas County. Then if you use the van to transport the body from Douglas County to Florida, which we can assume that's, that's what happened since a van was rented, then that's going to be a, a separate collection of evidence. You're not going to have this overlay or commingling of evidence. So that actually works in the favor of the police as they're investigating this case. And it's not just police uh, Jackie, because what do we have going on here? Well, anytime you're involved in perpetrating a felony like this, um, You now call upon the resources. You invoke the resources of the FBI. How many states are there between Colorado and Florida? You're talking about the transportation of a body, a deceased uh, child from one state all the way to the other side of the United States. So now you're going to call the full force of the FBI and all of their resources. And I can tell you, at their lab, they have one of the most complete and state-of-the-art crime labs in the world.
1: Joe, let me jump in here. I want to make one more point back to the bug larva. Um, you've also got the temperature differences between Colorado because it's February, snows in Colorado in February, and Florida, where it's still fairly temperate weather.
0: And there's all manner of things that work here, Jackie, when you begin to think about that. Um, when a body is kept in an environment that is very cold, Um, you can actually retard the process of decomposition. That means to slow it down greatly, kind of blunt it, if you will, to the point where the body is not going to remain perfectly preserved, but as opposed to being in a tropical subtropical environment like Florida in that region, remember we're up near Pensacola on the, on the North end of Florida, decomposition because of heat is going to accelerate in that area. So imagine, if you will, as Gannon's body is being transported from Colorado to Florida, the temperature is creeping upward as you're leaving Colorado, presuming she took a southward uh, route. All the while, his body, this process of decomposition is accelerating all the way. And if we factor in the fact that he is contained within the small space of this uh, of this suitcase, that's going to accelerate it as well because all of the moisture that is being given off by the body is self-contained in there. And it's going to, again, further enhance the speed at which the body is decomposing. I cannot even begin to imagine, Jackie, the foul odor that would have been exuding Uh, from that suitcase as she's transporting it down the road making her way very slowly remember she stopped and spent the night along the way when she would have gotten back into that van the next morning perhaps prior to dumping his body the smell could have knocked you over I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use AstroPro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with AstroPro. Go to AstroProAllergy.com for a discount so you can AstroPro and go. Today, A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. AstroPro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. think any of us you know, faced with the proposition of of having to transport a body uh, over uh, this great country that we have, over this expansive country, uh, would give any of us kind of pause for a moment. But can you actually imagine, Jackie, transporting the body of a child, which you were given specific charge over, this child that you had... Uh, been told to, to take care of, to, to feed, that you'd been entrusted with. And all the while, he's decomposing in the back of the vehicle.
1: No, I can't, Joe. And especially once it is discovered what happened to this 11-year-old. We now know that Gannon Stouch was shot in the jaw with a 9 millimeter and stabbed at least 18 times before he died. So it is no wonder that the stepmother Leticia Stout sent her daughter, Gannon's stepsister, to go buy cleaning supplies.
0: You know, this is quite literally a bloody mess when you're talking about the volume of when you're talking about the level of trauma that Gannon endured. Let's let me break this down. And first off, let me <laughs> And and this makes it even more horrific, Jackie. Yes, he he was shot in the jaw. And that's uh, – some people are shaking their heads over that right now, I know. But that, that might have been the most merciful thing that had happened to him throughout this entire event because when you had mentioned there were 18 stab wounds, I, I want to make a slight correction here because it's not just 18 stab wounds. Let's call them sharp force injuries, which is – in forensics is generally the term that we use and that can either imply a stab wound, you think about a knife being buried into somebody, or it can be a slice or an incised wound. And in Gannon's case, according to some of the preliminary information that has come out from the police, Gannon had an awareness, Jackie. He had an awareness that he was being attacked. So that means that more than likely, more than likely, He tried to fight this person off with all of his might. He had defensive wounds on his hands, on his wrist, on his arms. And then whoever did this to him buried a knife multiple times into his body, uh, in his chest and in his back. And, you know, it really gives you pause to think about, you know, what kind of person would do this to an 11-year-old little boy, over and over again and to make it even worse there's apparently evidence that he sustained some blunt force trauma to the head so that means that all the while he's being stabbed he's also being beaten and then finally like i said mercifully he was shot at that point in time the interesting thing about this is is the following and this is a key piece of evidence this gunshot wound that he sustained from this nine millimeter, which is a semi-automatic handgun. The actual projectile was recovered from his body, and I sometimes i'm I'm amazed at you know the evidence that we can recover, particularly when you think about all of these locations that this little boy's body was in and moved multiple times in a state of decomposition, they still were able to recover this round. and this round is going to be very critical when this case, finally comes to trial. And let me tell you why. That round that they recovered from Gannon's body down there in Florida when they did the autopsy, that round was actually matched up to a nine millimeter pistol that they found in the home of Gannon's stepmother. That's a big piece of information because that actually winds up giving you what's referred to as a ballistic fingerprint. Those markings that are left on that bullet, you know, from the uh, the, traveling down that barrel, that rifle barrel, this lead projectile traveling down this rifle barrel, leaves these marks on the exterior of this projectile, and it buries into the tissue. Now, those markings can be matched up to the barrel of this weapon, and it doesn't even matter, and this is a fantastic thing about, about ballistic study, You can have a 9-millimeter pistol that's made by the same company. We won't say a specific manufacturer, but we'll just call it Company A. By Company A, it can be the same model. It can come off of the same production line. But guess what? Each one of the ballistic markings in those barrels made at the same time are going to be unique to that weapon. And at the end of the day, that might be the piece of evidence that winds up getting a conviction in this case.
1: In relation to Yannon being shot, we know that the crime scene was very bloody. Is there a difference or how much difference does distance make in the amount of blood and where it shows up in the room? Are you going to have a larger dispersal if you're shot from farther away as opposed to up close?
0: I think that one of the key things here we we do know this I can tell you this when you have what's referred to as a hard contact or press contact gunshot wound which means that the perpetrator would take the the end of the barrel the muzzle of the weapon and tightly press it against the skin uh, not only are you going to have the projectile entering the body, and that obviously creates a tremendous amount of pressure, but you're going to have this expansion of gas, and many times associated with that, there'll be a, a a tremendous amount of blood that issues forth from that. Now, more than likely, if if he was shot in the jaw, uh, you're not going to have the same amount of blood that you might have, for instance, if if he was if if he was shot directly into uh, his skull, into the cranium itself with a tightly held weapon. Uh, but what we can tell, and you're talking about range here, we can tell the distance of the muzzle, the end of the muzzle, from the actual injury itself. Now, this could be compromised a little bit, just so folks at home understand, don't get too excited. It can be compromised as a result of the decomposition. Let's remember, this precious little boy was down for two months after death, checking. So the biological processes that are going on in decomposition can compromise the pathologist's ability to determine range of fire. Now, if if this was a tightly held weapon, and let's say folks will find kind of this area below your ear where your jaw begins to descend, that's a rather firm piece of bone. If this weapon was applied to the jaw in a very tight press contact area, or or uh, in- entrance area, you can actually have a, a soot deposition on the bone itself that will travel past through the skin and kind of uh, uh, tattoo this area around the bone as well so that might still be there Um, and the saving grace here is that I would imagine in Gannon's case they would have taken microscopic sections of the injury which happens very commonly at autopsy with gunshot wounds and they'll look at them microscopically to get an idea as to the dispersal of say unpurned gunpowder in the skin that might still be embedded there, you could still appreciate it probably at a microscopic level. And then you begin to measure that out. And you kind of, it gets kind of complicated at this point, but you kind of do a ratio relative to the disbursement of the powder grains that are left behind. And that would give you an idea as to roughly the distance of the gunshot wound in Gannett's case.
1: Joe, let's talk forensically just a little bit about what was found with Gannon's body. There was bloody bedding and a pillow, so his comforter and the sheets that were found with Gannon's body. A lot of blood on there. Is it likely the blood came from him being wrapped up in those items, or or, or is there a way to know?
0: Yeah, actually, there is kind of a way to know, Jackie, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's you know in these horrible cases you know as investigators we look for the silver lining if you will in all of these things you have to look past the horror of it many times to get to the answers that science is dying to tell us um, and in this particular case, if he was in fact beaten, stabbed and shot on the surface of of these bed linens that you're talking about, that's going to have the blood staining that will be there will be more dynamic. Okay. You'll, you'll get maybe, uh, a, uh, a, a, a spreading of high velocity blood staining that's left behind. Say for instance, from a gunshot wound, or when you have a beating that takes place, I'm not saying this is the case with him, but lots of times with a beating, uh, you'll get kind of a, a medium velocity blood staining. Okay. Then on top of that, you have the dynamic of transference of blood where the body is seeping blood. Okay. And so as you begin to wrap or envelop the body in some type of cloth, uh, maybe clothing that's left behind, those sorts of things, that's kind of a, a contacting transfer of blood. And that looks completely different than say a dynamic that goes on during the actual fatal event. So, yeah, uh, it's possible. My only concern, though, again, we come back to this uh, process of decomposition. And this is kind of multi layered itself. I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. But when you're looking at this, keep in mind the blood itself is a biological component. And blood is not just blood in and of itself. You know, you got red blood cells, white blood cells, you got plasma, you got all of these ingredients of blood. Um, and they're decomposing, too, along with the tissue of the body. So it's beginning to break down. Then you've got decompositional fluid that's created from the body. So that's going to compromise the stain as well. So that's something that the police will have to contend with. One of the fantastic things here, I think, though, that is really uh, a real asset for the police is the fact that he all of this evidence was actually contained in here. So if you think about Gannon's body, it was essentially cocooned and protected to a great degree. This perpetrator did a great disservice to themselves because these were not disposed of. And also the perpetrator may have left things like hairs behind that came off of their head. If that person has got a particular kind of haircut, if they've got a particular kind of hair dye that's left behind, or if you have a hair shaft that's intact, they might be able to get DNA off of it. And that's going to be very, very difficult to explain away. Those of us that are parents think about a precious little 11-year-old boy and how full of life they are. Jackie, what a way for... For this child's life to have ended.
1: Especially when you find out that his stepmother is accused of this murder and that she asked her teenage daughter to stop by the store and buy supplies to help Letitia Stouch clean up after this murder. She asked her daughter to stop by the store and buy carpet cleaning supplies, baking soda, trash bags, and a few other things to help cover up the evidence of her horrendous crime. Do you not just want to stand up Joe as a forensic investigator and, and tell these, these perpetrators, these murderers that guys, this is not going to get rid of the evidence of what you did.
0: Yeah. Apparently these people don't watch true crime shows. Right. And and I think a lot of it uh, goes to the fact that they get frenzied and you know, there's a, there's a, A bigger element here, too, Jackie, that's absolutely heartbreaking is the fact that this individual involved this teenage girl in this. I mean, let's just think about that just for a second, because de facto, you would think that the teenager would have borne witness, maybe not to the attack itself, but certainly to the aftermath. Can you imagine how horrible that is? Maybe she facilitated aiding in the cleanup at this point in time. And then... Can you imagine going to the local grocery store and walking down the aisle where all the detergents are and the carpet cleaners? And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to buy a carpet cleaner in order to clean up the blood of this precious little boy who I played with or entertained or watched TV with or or played games with, all these sorts of things. I'm going to buy this and then I'm going to go back and aid in this cleanup.
1: Well, now, in, in, in at the moment, Joe, we do not know whether the daughter knew what had happened. It could just be mom called and said, hey, I need uh, to clean the carpets. Gannon spilled something. So we don't know yet whether the daughter knew what had happened or if she found out once we had home. But I get your point. That would be an absolutely horrible image to have in your mind.
0: Yeah. And and to go beyond beyond that point, you're right. You are when you say that there's really no extent that she's going to be able to go to uh, to rid herself of all this biological evidence. And, you know, we've talked about it thousands of times with with Nancy Grace. Um, we we have methodologies in forensic science to recover what is what is in fact uh, left behind, all that remains, if you will. Uh, when it comes to uh, agents like luminol and blue star and those things, that when these items even on, on a cleaned area, uh, and sometimes these cleaned areas are not even defeated with bleach, we can go back and apply these agents, and the reason they work so well is if folks at home have ever heard, you know, you have iron-poor blood, Um, you know, they talk about how blood is, you need to have high iron levels in order to have healthy blood cells and this sort of thing. Well, that's one of the things that Luminol uh, interacts with. It interacts with the metallic uh, agents that are contained, or it interacts with the metallic elements that are contained within blood, things like iron, things like copper, for instance. So that's what we're actually looking for. And that's what gives it this luminescence when it contacts it. And, you know, one of the most striking things when you're on a a crime scene, and I've, I've actually been on a couple that had happened years and years ago, Jackie, and somebody either rolled over on it or we had suspicion that something had happened in that environment, 10 years, a decade later, you can go in and you can actually apply an agent like luminol or blue star and you turn those lights off and all of a sudden it just burst. It just absolutely bursts on your eyesight and you can see this luminescing, this glow, that's left behind. And it's, you know, I guess wax and philosophical. It's almost like, you know, the dead are accusing at that point in time. You know, there's that old verse in the Bible that says his blood cries out from the ground, you know, and so you're, you know, you can actually see it and it's, it's quite striking.
1: As I learn from you, Joe Scott Morgan, questions pop up into my mind. Does Luminol and those blood detecting agents work on animal blood as well as human blood, or do they show up the same?
0: Uh, yeah, they they will actually It doesn't um, you know when when we test when we use a uh, a test like Luminol uh, or or Blue Star, we're simply trying to determine. The presence of blood. It doesn't differentiate between species at that point in time. We've got a, a variety of other tests, uh, which are called presumptive testing. Then you have specific testing that you go through at the scene to determine, first off, you know, like uh, I think there's a Castle Meyer test, which is something to say, yes, this is in fact blood. Then there's another level you go beyond that to say, yes, this is human versus animal. And then you go beyond that when you get into things like blood typing and all those sorts of things until we can put a very fine point on it You know, nowadays uh, where we can begin to talk about things like DNA testing. And that breaks it even further down into an elemental level at a molecular level. So yeah, we can differentiate.
1: So obviously that has nothing to do with this case of, of 11-year-old Gannon Stouch. The question just popped into my mind, as I said, because I learned things from you. But you were talking about being able years later to distinguish and find for the blood to be able to show up years later. So you're saying basically any porous material the blood is going to soak into and no amount of cleaning is going to get it out.
0: I suppose that there is a certain amount of cleaning that could be done to facilitate this, but it would require such a commitment and knowledge and understanding on the part of the individual who's trying to eradicate those stains, um, that it, it's almost a Herculean effort in order to do this. Uh, generally, about the best way to do it is take up that area and burn it. But you know, I've even worked cases where you know we had people that were assaulted on carpets, and the blood soaked through the base of the carpet, went down to the padding, and actually wound up. Uh, on an underlying subsurface and we were still able to appreciate blood on the subsurface so it's very very daunting task to say the very least i'm joseph scott morgan and this is body bags